Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing on this Friday, sir? Cade, I'm doing great. We've got uh, women's indoor tennis national championship. We got every single cowboy wrestler ranked in the coaches poll. We've got softball. We've got baseball, football news, some intriguing things to talk about with basketball. So much going on this week. I'm having a great time. What about you? I am too. I forget how much I love when basketball, softball, baseball, wrestling all converge. And then you've got kind of spring football nuggets sprinkled throughout. Uh, it definitely softens the blow of the off season because it can be a slog. And then you realize, Oh wait, Oklahoma state softball, they're going and now they're really going. So it, it definitely uh, gets me uh, fired up. So I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. It's a lot of positive stuff happening with a lot of these spring sports right now. So it's, it's really fun, but kid, you mentioned we do have a little bit of football news and then some football items to get into. So I can kind of take us through some of the spring practice stuff. Pokes report is reporting that Oklahoma state spring football practice will begin after spring break concludes on Sunday, March 24th. The Cowboys will open up spring practice on Tuesday, March 26th. That week, the team will go Wednesday Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday. And then from that point on, it will be Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. So the first week will be that week that I just talked about, kind of wrapping up there at the end of April. As we mentioned last year, the Saturday practices allow for more opportunities to get some of the prospects, the recruiting prospects into, on campus to see a practice. It includes a fi official visit. And they've already booked, I think, like four weekends in April with some of those visits. 15 allotted practices for the spring by the NCAA. And they're not going to be practicing in Boone Pickens Stadium at all. They're not going to have any events there, according to Polk's report, which I believe includes a spring game because the south side of the stadium is having metal, concrete, and seating being redone or replaced. And the last note is that Mike Gundy's high school head coaches clinic will be on Wednesday, April 3rd inside the West End Zone. So it sounds like no spring game, but man, we're about what a month and a half away yeah. from spring football kicking off. Crazy, crazy how quickly it comes. And I mean, there's a lot of hype around this team. There's also some hype around some guys that, I mean, namely a Zane floors who, you know, everybody's talking about right now. And so I'm personally really excited to see this get started because I mean, I think that a your, your starting, you know, roster, your 22 man, looks like a big 12 championship caliber roster but there are some guys to keep an eye on as well and uh it's going to be a really intriguing spring uh season so yeah it really is and speaking of the upcoming season FanDuel and some other sports betting outlets released some win loss over underlines for all of NCAA football but the most intriguing is Oklahoma State's came out at seven and a half, up from six and a half last year. Ahead of them in the Big 12 are K-State and Utah are both at nine and a half. Arizona, Kansas, Texas Tech, and UCF are at eight and a half. And then with Oklahoma State at seven and a half are Iowa State and TCU. Below them, West Virginia is at six and a half. And then Baylor, Cincinnati, and Colorado are all at five and a half. With Arizona State, BYU, and Houston rounding it out at the bottom, all at four and a half as the win-loss over-under. Cade, your thoughts? Well, I think our buddy Adam Lunt sums my thoughts up perfectly just by pointing out the fact that in the last 16 seasons, Oklahoma State has won less than eight regular season games four times. So if history is any indicator, the over is the play here. And, I mean, I, I personally don't see Oklahoma State winning less than nine this year. So seven and a half is very strange. I think you've got a lot of credit to a Kansas state team. Who's 
completely reloading. Utah, I think, is probably the only one that I think is dead on. I think teams like UCF, Texas Tech, Kansas might be getting a little too much credit from Vegas. And so if I was, you know, if I was putting money on this, I'd look at Oklahoma State and say, yeah, there's there's no way seven and a half is the number. I do think it's a difficult, fairly difficult schedule, comparatively speaking, to the rest of the conference, but I don't see seven and a half for Oklahoma State. Yeah, I agree. You and I, I think, both said the floor with everybody returning and just kind of what they've added to the transfer portal through high school recruiting was 10 and two. So we're kind of setting it at 10, which is, you know, two and a half wins above where FanDuel has this over underline. I wanted to ask you, do you think, what do you think is the hot, like the line that's a little too high? I know you can't said Kansas state might be a little overinflated. Do you think they're the one that's way too high? Do you think it's somebody like Texas tech? Yeah, Kansas? I think there's actually three that jump out. I think Kansas state is too high nine and a half with all that they have, you know, question marks on. I do think that their quarterback's pretty good, but it's he's he played a little bit. So him plus a brand new offensive line. They lost their offensive coordinator. Nine and a half feels high. Texas Tech continuously gets a lot of credit, and I don't really understand why. Um, so they're weird. And UCF at eight and a half, also kind of a a strange one to me. I those three are are a little a little high. Yeah, Texas Tech sucks. If they go over uh, eight and a half in the regular <laughs> season, I'll be shocked. So, but I think people that listen to this podcast know my thoughts on Texas Tech. I agree with you on Kansas State. My thing with them, though, is when I'm trying to figure out like where I think the win loss, in which I'm always wrong, but where I think the win loss line should be or what I think their win total will be in the regular season versus where this number is. I do still think Kansas State would probably be like an eight-win team. I, so I totally I do think agree. it's too high, but maybe not like way higher than what I think it would be. I'm a little Kansas. I know they still have Lance Leipold, but I'm going to be interested to see what losing Andy Kultanicki does yep. to yep. this team because I don't think Leipold had much say in the play calling, things like that. I think that was solely Colton Nicky's offense. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this offense looks and the play calling, situational play calling looks without Colton Nicky, who is one of my favorite play callers in recent college football history, much yeah. less in recent seasons. So I do think I could see Kansas maybe, you know, it barely making a bowl if things don't work out well for them. And if you, you know, if they experience some of the injuries that they have in prior seasons, because they don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't have Bean anymore as the safety nope. net. No, they don't. So I, I could see Kansas coming in way low. On the flip side, Cade, who do you think is maybe a little lower than they should be? Like who, who's I, obviously Oklahoma State, outside of Oklahoma State? Man. If I look at the bottom of the Big 12, I mean, Baylor has been pretty bad. They may be due for a rebound. Colorado at five and a half feels right. Houston at four and a half feels right. I don't think anybody is like uh, too low. I mean, West Virginia at six and a half feels good. Iowa State at seven and a half feels good. I actually think after having talked to you about this, I wonder if Kansas State at nine and a half and Oklahoma State at seven and a half is Vegas saying... Kansas State's going to be favored in that game, which would make sense. It's in Manhattan, and that's the swing. Because if Oklahoma State wins that, that's eight and a half, and Kansas State would be down to eight and a half, which both of those feel much more appropriate. So maybe that's where the swing is coming from. But to answer your question, if I had to, if I had to pick one, it would probably be Baylor. But I don't feel good about it. I mean, they they are you know changing up coaching. That they just are not a very solid program right now. It would be a total guess. What about Arizona State? Do you have any I, faith in Rashad? I don't like him at all. No, I really don't. Um, the, the one I do think, I think six and a half, I think West Virginia is probably going to get closer to seven. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know if that, you know, that's not way off from six and a half. It's just barely above. So I don't really have, I agree with you. I don't really have one that I, I think besides Oklahoma State, I think Oklahoma State's my answer, even if I'm not an Oklahoma State fan. I just, again, I think the history would tell you, I mean, if you just bet the over, if it was seven and a half every year and you just bet that 
you you would have come out well on top. I personally did last year as well, and I I plan to this year. So it will be uh it will be interesting to watch. But yeah, I um maybe Houston, maybe Houston turns it around a little bit. I I don't know. None of those feel good. Yeah. All right. Well, a couple other notes on football. We've got Alex Kate. So I wanted to bring this up to you, Alex Hale, kicker for Oklahoma State. Had a, had a solid season, kind of shaky on extra points there at the end, but was a really good field goal kicker. He announced on his Instagram that he was invited to the NFL Specialist Showcase at the NFL Combine, but I don't see his name on any Combine list that I've seen out there. I actually heard Robert Allen talking about it on the radio, and he is also confused by this and hasn't been able to confirm one way or the other. I think Alex Hale definitely deserves it, so he... All that to say, keep an eye because he may be there and maybe he's not. <laughs> that is probably all that there is to say about it. But if he gets and he if if he is there, I think he will impress. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. Okay, next up, Cody Walterscheid. We've talked about him a few times on this podcast about him leaving. We've gotten a couple questions about it that we actually ran out of time to get to on a recent pod. We got a question about it. According to Polk's report, he went through senior day ceremonies. He accepted his medal at the bowl game at the final practice, which according to Robert Allen, no one does that if they're going to come back, but he does still have the COVID year if he wants to take it. And it sounds like he is considering now coming back and playing for Oklahoma state, which I don't think he had a great season last year, but it does add to the defensive end depth. And I do think he would be, a great person to have as a key rotation piece. My only concern, Cade, when I throw it back to you, and I think having the depth of Walter Scheid outweighs this concern, but I would hate for him to get the starting nod due to seniority over yeah. guys like Deshaun Brown and Jaleel Johnson because I think they have the talent and what they've already shown on the field to have a much higher ceiling a, and play better than Walter Scheid did last year. That's exactly it. I mean, the the upside that you have with those two guys is is probably higher than what you know you have with Cody Walter Scheid. I will say though, as a as a depth piece, like as a surefire deal, I think getting Cody Walter Scheid back would be great. But if you were like to your point, like if it comes at the cost of playing time for one of your two, you know, up and comers, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as interested in that. But if he was willing to come in and just be part of the rotation like he was last year, I think it would be great. It shores up a, a position of need. Yeah, I completely agree. And the last note on the Oklahoma State football team before we get into a couple, actually, there's two more, and then we'll get into a couple of general football notes. Braden Casty announced on Twitter on February 12th that he is entering the NFL draft. I'm st- Xavier Benson did the same thing. It's a little confusing to see these announcements. I guess they're just kind of saying their thank yous to Oklahoma State fans, which is awesome. But both of those guys are out of eligibility. So they're either entering the NFL draft or hanging it up or entering the CFL or the USFL or, or you know, I, I don't, I guess they're a little confusing to me when you see these because I think people think, oh man, he's he's leaving Oklahoma State. He's leaving some eligibility on the table. But no, Braden Cassidy was out of eligibility. Wish him the best heading into the NFL. I think he's a little bit kind of a a tweener. I don't know if he has all the tools to play tight end in the NFL. And I don't know if he's a talented enough guy for a team to want to play him a bunch at fullback because a team's not going to use a fullback unless they have a extremely talented individual at that fullback spot. So... I wish him the best, but just kind of wanted to call it out because we talk about Cassidy a lot on here. I thought he was a great player at Oklahoma State. And like I said, wish him the best as he tries to enter the NFL draft. Yeah, big piece for Oklahoma State last year, and uh, you hope things work out. I do wonder if, you know, could he get picked up on a practice squad or somebody takes a flyer on him? We'll see. Um, best of luck to him, for sure. And then the last Oklahoma State football-related note, the Doak Walker Award Ceremony is this weekend and Ollie Gordon will be, it's not really the award ceremony that was already, it's kind of like the banquet, but the legend who is getting the award and why I wanted to bring this up to you, Cade is Emmett Smith. 
So Ollie Gordon is going to be with Emmett Smith at this banquet, being the two guys recognized, getting to hang out with Emmett at the banquet, probably maybe ask him a few questions about what he can do to kind of take his game to the next level. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's that is very cool for several reasons. Do you think uh, we see Ollie change his number to twenty two this year? That would be actually pretty sick. I'm not. A, I know you, we've talked about this maybe off air. I'm not a huge fan of zero in football, but I it does look cool on Ollie because he's always making plays. But twenty two would look awesome. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean. Ollie and zero is like, it's synonymous. One of these days that could be hung up in the rafters somewhere. Oh yeah, I mean, for it's sure. Like, it's definitely iconic. It's, it is iconic. I mean, I, I'm actually struggling to think of another player in the recent memory whose Jersey alone will be like Im so immediately recognizable. Like Des number one might be the next one, Justin Blackman, 81. And then it might be Ollie zero. It, it truly might be, I mean, or, or Taylor Cornelius. But yes, I mean, that's, I, I think the <laughs> the Ollie Zero is big time. I, I think it's awesome that he's going to get to hang out with him. And I hope he has a good time. It looks like it's going to be a fun time there. So wish Ollie the best. And then, Cade, we've got a couple. We don't normally do stuff like this, but some general football stuff, because one of these is something you and I talk about all the time. We've actually even brought it up on the podcast before. The NCAA football rules committee is going to meet at the end of February. And there's a couple of really interesting rules that they are going to be discussing about bringing into college fo football. I believe as soon as next season, they tested some of this out during the bowl games and apparently it had glowing reviews, but the first one is the introduction of tech into the game. So just like the NFL, one player on offense or, or defense will have the earpiece in their helmet so the coaches are able to talk to them, and obviously it cuts off with a certain amount on the play clock. I know in the bowl games, I'm pretty sure they didn't have a cutoff, so the coaches could just talk to them up until the play was snapped. Ooh. Obviously, they would change that and kind of iron that out. And the other one is the introduction of the two-minute warning, which kind of just helps for a bunch of different reasons, but... I like making the rules similar to the NFL. Like I get every now and then why in sports, there's a few differences, but things like the three point line, not being the same, the court, not being the same dimensions in basketball and something like quarterbacks having communication with the head coaches since 1994 in the NFL, not being introduced. And then the use of tablets and other things on the sideline, you can do that in high school football yeah. and NFL, but not in college, things like that. I, I just like when it's kind of all uniform, maybe that's just me, no. but I love that they're thinking about introducing this into the game. I don't think it's just you. And I think after, you know, last year's running clock with, you know, no stoppages after first downs, that was like as radical as I felt like I was going to be comfortable with. And then it happens and you barely even notice it. And it's like, okay, well, Maybe we just continue on this path, and if it gets wonky, we try to double back. But uh, it's unlike NIL. You can put the genie back in the bottle with some of these rule changes. So if something goes too crazy, then you know you can always fix it. But I, I definitely agree. I think it's crazy that a high school football team in you know Wichita, Kansas, can have technology that I said this to you that like a Caleb Williams cannot. So it's just kind of interesting to me. Yeah, it really is. So we'll see. We'll keep you updated on that. I'm sure it'll be announced shortly after the meeting, what they decide. Probably but, after this podcast, knowing our track record. Yeah, exactly. And then the last note, football, and we'll move on. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably saw the teaser trailer for the new EA Sports NCAA college football game coming back. I believe the last game was released in 2014, so it's been a while. We weren't going to talk about it. We were going to wait until they announced the re official release date. Because you and I both played the old game, both loved the old game growing up. We'll definitely be playing this one. But 247 released some their top 10 of what they thought ratings would be in this game for particular players. And they have Ollie Gordon as a 99, highest in the game, best attribute they list as break tackle. And here's the kind of blurb on him. College football's top returning running back. There's no doubt that Ollie Gordon will be an unstoppable force in the backfield later this summer when this game releases. 
whether you're giving him the football on a toss dive or well-executed screen pass on third down, just make sure Gordon gets 20 plus touches when Oklahoma state is your team selection. He'll be the big 12's top returning player overall and could be the only 99 on the game. Take precaution going no huddle with a bunch of carries though. You know how often players get injured when fatigued in NCAA football. Man, do you think he's in 99? Do you think he's, I mean, I, that level. That would be insane. I hope he is. I, I think, I mean, if you wouldn't have showed me 99 going into this season, I would have think he would have been a, a mid-90s player, though, totally. for sure. Coming off a of Doak Walker, potential, you know, preseason Heisman, hopeful. I think you got to rank him in the mid-90s. But having him as the highest player in the game, I probably wouldn't have said that. But just, I mean, just because I didn't think anyone would rate him that, being Oklahoma State's running back, now, though, Cade, sure. Maybe he should change his number to 99 instead. <laughs> that would be an that epic goal. Be... You would love that. Um, but I got to say, I there, there has not, in my adult life, I've never been so excited for a video game. I mean, I, I just, you know, it, at some point, it kind of leaves your life. But this, I mean, if you don't have a PS5 or an Xbox... How many people are going to go buy one simply for this game? It's it's hey, going me. to be amazing. Yeah, you. <laughs> I, I've, I've talked about it on here. I'm not much of a gamer. I, you know, FIFA and Madden stuff back in college and when I was younger in NCAA even, but I haven't owned a system, I don't think since 2012, since college, 2011 maybe. And I'm going to buy one for this game yeah, for sure. 100%. So I'm one of those people. Yeah, 100%. I've got the PS5, and I'm just thankful that I don't have to go out and you know convince my wife I need to spend $650 <laughs> on this game. I've already done it. So, <laughs> But yeah, it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll have to walk over to your house, and we'll have to play as well. So uh, we did get one question, though, Cade, related to this. So I might just throw it up here now so we don't have to come back to it later. Weston at CWMason92. Thanks, Weston, for the question. He says, what would your rating be for Bowman on the college football game coming out? A list of your top three offensive and defensive player ratings for OSU. Kate, I thought about this for a second when I saw it and after seeing Ollie's ranking. And some, so there, I think there's four quarterbacks on that top 10 list for 247, and they're all in the mid-90s. So if you think about that, I think you put Alan Bowman somewhere in the mid-80s. Don't you think like an 84, 85? If you go below so. 80, it's like, well, then what, how does Oklahoma State have any chance to win any games if they're starting quarterbacks in the 70s and, and people are picking them as Big 12 favorite? So for us to say 10 and 2, I think you almost have to rank him in somewhere in the 80s. 84 is like dead on what I was thinking. Somewhere right yeah. there. I could even see like an 82 in, in certain cases, but... Uh, yeah, it, it will be interesting. And I think, I mean, they're going to have NIL, so you're going to literally have like Ollie Gordon's headshot in the game and Alan Bowman's headshot in the game. It's going to be a totally different experience, and I, I can't wait. You think they're going to make you buy, like <laughs> buy all the uniforms? You used to they just might. get it. I bet they make you buy them. It's going to be crazy. I'm sure there'll be a way to kind of like do that for, for free sure. as well. Not that we condone it, but... <laughs> uh, so top three offensive Cade, let's just answer it together. And we'll, mm -hmm. we kind of have a debate going back and forth. If we don't agree anywhere, Ollie, obviously. And then I think obviously number two is Brendan Presley for three. I think you and I would probably say shriveling, but if we're, if we're saying we're the game makers and he didn't play all of last season and was really good at Washington state, but I could see them going with an Owens or maybe even a Dalton Cooper as the third highest on offense. That's pretty good, actually. If I had to guess, it would be Ollie Presley and or Bowman. But I mean, if we're I saying Cooper is probably think... going to be that that guy, they'll probably yeah. put him at what like eighty seven, eighty eight. I think so. He'd probably you'd have to have one lineman graded high on this team if they're saying yeah. they're going to be a good team. So I think they would give it to somebody. And then on defense, I think you have Nick Martin and Colin Oliver and Corey Black. I, I don't know if there's any discussion for anybody else. Yeah, I think I totally, totally agree that there's really not. Um, I would go low 90s for Nick Martin, high 80s for Colin Oliver and mid to high 80s for Corey Black. Yeah, I agree. And look, there's other, you know, 
Kendall Daniels, freak athlete. We've seen other players play really good. Lyric Rawls is coming back. Trey Rucker. We got Justin Wright coming in. You got Justin Kirkland, our guy. But I think if I'm if I'm EA, Colin Oliver's gotten preseason accolades. He's won awards. Nick Martin's coming off a million tackle season. And then Corey Black, I in I think in anybody's opinion, is one of the better returning cornerbacks. Totally in the big 12 and maybe even in college football. So I think it's those three guys. Yeah, I, I totally agree. All that to be said, can't freaking wait. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Appreciate that question. All right, Kate, let's hit a little bit of recruiting and then one transfer portal note. Not a ton of recruiting stuff because the dead period ends on March 3rd. So we're in the dead period right now. We, I think I missed an offer though recently and I wanted to kind of circle back to it in the 2025 class. Aiden Webb, 2025 safety, 6'2", 160 pounds from Lake Highlands High School in Dallas, Dallas, Texas. Currently not rated, but he has offers from Houston, North Texas, SMU, TCU, Tulsa, UTSA. I know Dan Hammerschmidt, Coach Dan Hammerschmidt has been recruiting him hard. He's going to visit in the spring. Watched a little bit of his film. Kind of looks like more of that nickel Safety, a lot of man coverage, press coverage snaps over the slot receiver. Saw him in that kind of field safety, free safety spot as well. Really good at high pointing the football. Looks super athletic, breaks well on the ball. I like what I've seen from him. And then the other 2025 offer is actually a quarterback. I don't know how to say his last name. His first name is Jet. The last name is N-I-U. I think it's Niu. He's Polynesian. Niu. They, I bet it's new. I think maybe I think I you've know. mentioned on the pod normally for the Polynesian names, it you pronounce it how it looks, like all the letters are sounded out. So he's a 2025 QB, 6'2, 185 pounds from Lehigh High School in Lehigh, Utah. Three star, number 94 rated QB, number 16 rated player in Utah. Oklahoma State has is in on him pretty early. Doesn't have a ton of offers. And not not because he, I mean, he's he's rated. So it's not because he's like an under-the-radar player. But Marshall, Utah State, Washington State, and then some small schools are in on him. So I like that Oklahoma State's getting in on him early. And then we don't normally talk about 2026, Cade, but when it's the son of a former Oklahoma State standout player, I think you have to. Tatum Bell II, 2026 wide receiver, 5'10", 175 pounds from Heritage High School in Frisco, Texas. Not currently rated by 247, but he is the son of former OSU running back Tatum Bell, ninth all-time in OSU history as a rusher, and was drafted by the Denver Broncos in the second round of the 2004 NFL Draft. Well, that one simply has to happen. I have been on record as how big of a Tatum Bell fan I was. Uh, I mean, that, he was like the guy when I first started really paying attention to OSU football. And I've said this on the podcast, my brother and I, when we would play in the front yard or backyard or whatever, we would pretend to rip off our chin straps the same way Tatum Bell did. That was his signature. Like he'd score a touchdown and he'd rip his chin strap off every <laughs> time. And that simply, if Tatum Bell II gets on campus, I look forward to seeing him do the exact same thing. Bloodlines are real in football, man. I, I see the no stars, you know, somewhat slight profile. Um, I would expect that he blossoms pretty late here and uh, turns into a pretty good uh, overall profile recruit. Yeah, and he's got offers already. Colorado State, Houston, TCU, Texas Tech had 647 yards receiving and seven touchdowns last season. Also averages nearly 10 points a game for their Heritage's basketball team. So it'd be awesome to see. I'm a big Tatum Bell fan as well. And mine was more just because I I liked him as a running back, sure. not really being an Oklahoma State fan back then. But we got a question, Cade, kind of around this from Brian Metcalf, our guy at Brian J. Metcalf, asked if this is the first player since Mike Gundy's been a head coach at Oklahoma State who he's have coached the player and the son I don't know for sure, but I think it would be. And just kind of mathematically thinking about yeah. it, he's been head coach since 2005, you know, 19-ish, 20 years. It means that if he's already done it, that a player would have had to had a kid already in college for them to be in college now at this time. Correct. So I, I don't think it would have happened. And Tatum Bell, the second, will probably be the first. I could be wrong there, but... Kind of just thinking about it mathematically, unless someone had a kid really young, which is 
definitely possible. I don't know if that would have happened yet. And I feel like we would have heard about it if it did. The only other, you know, kind of related one here is Vernon Grant's son is being recruited by Oklahoma State. Okay. But actually, he was being recruited by Oklahoma State. It looks like he's already in college somewhere at Southeastern. So um, this, I think, would be the only one. I think you're right. About yeah. That. Yeah. Good question, though, Brian. I just... Uh... I had I have no way to verify that, but I'm pretty sure it, this would be the first one. So uh, that's all I have on recruiting, Cade. One transfer portal note. I asked Robert Allen about Gunnar Gundy. He apparently is currently back in Stillwater, kind of figuring out his options. And it sounds like he may decide to kind of get an early start on the coaching route because that's what he. it seems like he wants to do. And maybe he forgoes his eligibility in football and decides to kind of just start out with coaching. He he didn't confirm that. He just said he's not 100% sure what he's going to do. I was kind of thinking when I asked you this, Cade, last week that he would end up back in Stillwater. I believe his girlfriend is still in school at Oklahoma State. So it makes sense to me that he would at least want to get back closer to home. And if he does go play somewhere, I think it'll be somewhere near Oklahoma State. So what you're saying is the coaching theory has some water, and uh, I I feel like that's where it's headed. But yeah, we'll see. yeah, and it you know our guy Travis Monken, shout out to him, uh, friend of the pod. Having Gunnar Gundy and Travis Monken on staff would be kind of cool. Oh, I can see it now. Do they run it back like their dads did in 20 <laughs> years and and win the Big 12? I love it. That that would be awesome. All right, Cade. That was a lot of fun. Went through a lot of football stuff. I, we got to move on to basketball. And Kate, it's not, it's not the best for basketball no. right now. I might let you kind of take us through where we're at. Yeah, let's do that. Let's take a pause and hear a quick word from one of our sponsors. And we'll come back and do that. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you. Go Pokes. All right. Simply put, Dustin, the vibes are pretty bad in Gallagher Ivo Arena and the associated area within. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma State, you know, falls in Bedlam last weekend, 66 to 62, a game that they probably feel like they could have maybe should have won. It definitely felt like they uh, gave Oklahoma all they wanted and just all another one of these scoring droughts that has plagued them all season bites them again. But as the week has gone on, Dustin, that's no longer even really the biggest story surrounding Oklahoma State basketball. I mean, they've got BYU tomorrow at home, a ranked opponent. Really, maybe, Dustin, a a must, must win for Mike Boynton. This is probably a game that if if he wins it, I've said four is the number. If he beats a ranked BYU at home, I'm starting to feel like there's not going to be a change made, but all of that to be said, leading us into what the big story is, is Mike Boynton's comments a in the Bill Haston column on the Tulsa world and in a press conference yesterday, really surrounding the landscape of Oklahoma state basketball, talking about NIL, why it is currently, uh, you know, plaguing Oklahoma state and spoke really kind of, directly to the point that Oklahoma State is dead last in NIL in the Big 12, which is a big deal. But he pointed out in the press conference yesterday that, you know, what he did to get Cade Cunningham on campus, which was recruit for four years, is not what it takes anymore. And uh, pointed out the fact that he's got 
you know, more than likely coaches talking to Brandon Garrison right now. And um, very, very interesting week and interesting PR for Mike Boynton this week. Dustin, your your biggest thoughts uh, yeah, around I mean, that co- the, those comments, the column, anything. Yeah, kind of taking it back to where you started. Thanks for that overview, Cade. BYU, they could get this one. Five and five in Big 12 play. I know that they're ranked. But they got beat by like twenty points by OU, right? In North. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a this is a game you can win. I, I think they could win this game. BYU's a good team. I'm not saying that, but and then you know we got Bryce Thompson announcing on Instagram that he had the surgery to repair his labrum. I think that kind of removes any chance of him coming back because oh yeah, from like personal experience in my life, knowing multiple people who've had that labrum surgery. I believe it's like a three to four month recovery to get like back ready to play college D one basketball. So Bryce Thompson will definitely be out. I know we thought that anyway, but yeah, ending the season, it's going to be tough. There's some games you and I think that they can maybe still get. Uh, we just talked about the BYU game. We talked about the the rematch with OU back in home with Stillwater, but even if they get both of those, you know, that, that's four wins in conference play. Maybe it's enough for Boynton to hang around. But you mentioned it. The the Bill Haston column and then the press conference, it just seems like, I don't know, Kate. I, from, from, I hated to just make statements based on the Haston article. Mm-hmm. But then when I watched the press conference, he just seems, you know, really down right now. And normally Coach Boynton is kind of up there keeping a keeping a straight face, keeping yep. everything light. And it seems like things have maybe finally gotten to him. From my point of view, bringing up the NIL stuff, I get it. But you've had some bad losses this season to teams no that I don't think NIL should matter against. And Abilene Christian... St. Bonaventure, who I know is a solid team, but Southern Illinois. Notre Dame stinks, and, too. I mean, that's a yeah, game and I, for one. I think it's just a tough look to do it right now. It's almost, it almost would be better to do it after the season yeah. when you're not in the midst of possibly only winning two conference games. Here's what I really struggle with, Dustin, is th- he, he made a comment yesterday. I'll, I'll read it briefly. I don't want fans to feel good that we're 10 and 14. I want them to be like, yo, what the hell is going on? Why aren't we better? I want to help give them the, some perspective while they think like this isn't 1995. The thunder is here. We allow college athletes to make money. Now they can transfer anytime they want and be eligible. He goes on to say that this would have made Eddie Sutton's job harder. He might've won a national championship. He also might've, uh, it might've been a little harder to do it. Here's what I would say to that. I don't think fans are, you know, clamoring for Oklahoma State to suddenly be back in the final four. Dustin, are you I would appreciate a a 500 record with this roster. Like I would have appreciated yeah. if they would have been able to close the deal against Baylor, if they closed the deal against Oklahoma and this just is a it's a young team and they're reloading, but you have you have not done the things to win the games that you've had a chance to win that really would have earned some favor in, in this team's regard. And frankly, it's not even the team. It's really, it's really coach that that would have really helped, but I don't think fans are clamoring for 1995. I frankly think that they're clamoring for like 2012, 2015, 2020 when they took Cade Cunningham uh, into the NCAA tournament I don't think that they need a Final Four banner hung in Gallagher. No, just kidding. I think they want to get to the tournament consistently, and nobody else is having to drop millions of dollars in NIL to get there. So I, I kind of find it a bit like an excuse. Yeah, and I know, I know, Coach Boynton's dealt with some NCAA sanctions, and I completely understand that, and I think that needs to be taken into account. But on the flip side, it hasn't been NIL the entire time he's been coaching either. So it's a little confusing to bringing that up with the full span of his tenure of not really being successful. And so I think you have to look at both sides. I'm not saying don't take into account the NCAA sanctions. I'm not, and I'm not saying completely disregard the fact that NIL hasn't played a factor the whole time. I think kid, you pulled out a quote, one that 
it's kind of the point I already made, but he says, you've watched a lot of sports point and said, this is from the Hasten article, the teams with the better players, they're usually the ones who usually win. It's a simple rule of thumb, <laughs> but coach, you lost to Abilene Christian Notre Dame in Southern Illinois this year. I would also so say I, it's a weird quote. That's a weird quote. When, when, you look back at some of those earlier games. I would also say that your recruiting class was ranked in the top 10 this year. So are we saying that that's actually not true? Or are we are we saying that the portal... I, I totally agree with your point, Dustin. But like, I don't think that that holds water based on the fact that Oklahoma State's roster is one of the more talented based on recruiting rankings. So I, I, I really don't understand that one either. I feel for coach. I really do because this yeah, is Yeah, and we're not saying NBA. fire him right now, right? This second no, I, or anything like that either. I, I just think it's weird because, you know, we're both huge Oklahoma State sports basketball fans, alum. Like it, it's, you know, it's it's just not, it's not my favorite to hear some of these comments, even if some of them are true. It is a chicken and the egg thing too. Like if Oklahoma State were to make a run that Cade Cunningham year instead of losing to a... Oregon State team that caught fire out of nowhere. You make a run, and what happens after that? You were somehow able to go get Musa Cisse out of the portal. That was within the, I believe that was in the NIL era. So there was a way, there was momentum within the program at that time. They missed the tournament that year. The sanctions hit, and then they can't go to the tournament that year. And then the roster kind of falls apart. You get Rondell Walker picked off. You get Avery Anderson picked off. You get several other guys moved around. And all of a sudden, you ha you don't have momentum. And you've reloaded a roster with, you know, eight freshmen or however many they have. So it is a chicken and the egg thing. But they failed to seize on a moment where the program was on the rise. And instead, now we're blaming NIL when the program is pointing down. I just don't really understand it. We weren't blaming resources then. And it's not like NIL. It's just happening in the open, right? Like Oklahoma State was playing this game with Brad Underwood and Lamont Evans. So it's not like this is this is brand new. This is just out in the open. Yeah, and and I also would love for Oklahoma State to have more basketball available, more NIL available for basketball. But I think you got to win some games first. Yeah, I think you got to win some games. And then also, you know, you can't take it from football right now. They have Absolutely all the momentum not. in the world. That was actually a question I wanted to ask you was, would you be willing to sacrifice NIL money in football no. for basketball? No. And again, you know, if some, if some people have listened to this podcast since the beginning, obviously, you know, I'm a bigger football fan than basketball fan, but Kate, even asking you, you're a huge Oklahoma state basketball fan. Yep. Would you want to give any Today? extra from football to basketball? Yeah. Right now. No. No, I, yeah, I don't exactly. feel as though I've seen enough to say that that's a good return on your investment. That's kind of the way I feel. Ollie so, Gordon's a good return on your investment. Exactly. And we don't have to wrap it up completely, but I did want to close it out with some more questions to you. <laughs> Do you think that they eat the $6.7 after this? Let's say, let's say he wins zero more games. Let's say they finish with two conference wins. Do you think Chad Weiberg makes the move at the end of the season? Or do you think, as as we've heard rumored, that people think that that $6.7 is better spent in other ways than buying out Coach Boynton's contract? I also, I tend to agree that that's true. Um, like, if Oklahoma State's got $6.7 available to it, where do you put that today, Dustin? Probably into NIL for football. Or yeah, I might even say, just coach, get it to Ollie. No, I'm just you kidding. get one more shot and you get 2 million of this and you go build yourself a roster out of the transfer portal and you make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And if not, we have to do something. That would be the only other option I would give. Hey, take that 6.7 million and go get me two of the baddest defensive ends in college football in the <laughs> spring transfer portal window. Uh, I, 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 this is great though, because you and I just kind of have different perspectives on it. I mean, I, I am a Oklahoma state basketball season ticket holder, a disappointed one at that. I would be willing to see more resources pulled, poured into it. 
but agreed, absolutely agreed too. not at the expense of a program in Oklahoma State that has done more with less than any other program on campus, than any other program maybe in the country. Oklahoma State football deserves that money. Until I see that in basketball, they're going to have to start punching above their weight class, and they're not currently. I they're will actually say, punching below. Yes, I will say, I don't think, and again, I wasn't involved in the conversation between Haston and Coach Boynton, but it does seem like Haston kind of baited him into bringing up football. He brought up the stadium. And then Coach Boynton commented on it. So if people are coming out, that's why I didn't want to bring that up either as Coach Boynton saying it, because it seems like Haston kind of baited him into that, which, you know, local media. But, you know, I mean, that's just that's just kind of how it is. So I don't think Coach Boynton was coming after football. I do. I did want to say that. I don't think that was his intention at all. Maybe it was. I'm not in his brain. But from reading it and hearing him talk in the press conference, I definitely don't think that was his intention. I'll answer your initial question more directly, and then we can wrap it up. I don't think that they're going to buy him out. I think he's going to win a couple games down the stretch and probably save things. And if it was me, I would I would not be attached to any one player on this roster, and I would look entirely within the portal. And next year is a have-to-win. You, you have to get into the tournament, and you have to win a game at least. And otherwise... You've got to make a change, but I mean, it can you happen. Think he wants to get bought out. Kind of talk like it, like I, those are not things that earn a lot of favor from the fan base. That's already frustrated. So, you know, it's if it, if it was me and I was coaching somebody from a PR perspective, I actually do this for a living. I would have said, just wear it. This is a, this is a you thing. Just wear it. You, you will cause much less consternation and just wear it. So, yeah, uh, agreed. I, I, I understand the frustration from Coach Boynton. I'm not saying that at all. I just think it was weird, kind of like what you're saying, just kind of wear it. Yeah, good good talk. This is, uh, I'm fired up. Yeah. <laughs> well, Cade, let's talk a little other sports before we get into questions. So Cowgirl Softball, we're recording on Friday, so we don't want to make too many comments about the games that are going on today. Play, playing Georgia, and then they play again uh, later this afternoon, I believe it's, is it Washington state? I can't remember they off play the top Wisconsin of my head in this afternoon, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was a W so they play. And then we're kind of going to look back at the past week just because we're, this will probably be an issue sometimes on Friday. Yeah. So we're recording in the off season as baseball and softball will play on Fridays. But Cade, they take out LMU one zero. We talked about the first game when we were on the pod last week, that was on Thursday. So we'll start with the Friday game. They beat LMU, then they beat Utah State 10-1, then they beat UC Riverside 11-3 and wrap it up, run ruling number eight UCLA right before the Super Bowl on national TV, 9-1. They are currently ranked number four in the D1 softball rankings. What are your thoughts, Kate, on this Cowgirl softball team start to the season? Well, I think that they... I think the UCLA win um, is a huge one for the program. That's a logo that Oklahoma State, you know, is frequently associated with just based on they're both in the College World Series year in and year out. So for me, with this, you know, young team kind of reloading, to go on the road and win that game is massive. You know, they didn't look great early in the week, but as the week went on, they looked fantastic. UCLA may not be on the up like they you know historically have been i mean they've they lost to texas 16 to nothing that saturday and then oklahoma state on super bowl sunday punks them in a run rule so not to take anything away from oklahoma state but just to add some color this game against georgia today is massive it's a it's a kind of like statement win if you can go get that one too there's no doubt that this is a college world series contending team yeah and i think i'm still even after watching them this past week, I think I'm still where I was at and where you and I were at when we got asked the question to predict the season. I think this is a team that has college world series champion feeling, but with the lack of experience and losing some of the things they did on the pitching staff. And even in the field, even though they've looked great in the field, only two errors through that first weekend. And they were by Edwards and Bloodworth who 
your shortstop and your third base are normally going to get the most balls hit to them. So that's understandable that they each had an error. I just think with some of that lack of experience that they falter late in the season. And that's why I saw them getting knocked out in the supers. I'm still talking about them getting knocked out as one of the last like 16 teams remaining. It's not like I'm saying they're not going to make it far at all. I even think they could be hosting the supers and I could see them making it into the college world series, but I do think it's positive what I've seen from them at the plate. They're, they outscored their competition 39 to five in those games. And my takeaways, Cade, Talon Edwards is the best player on the team. She's the best player in the field at third base. I think that was a great call by Kenny to initially, I think it was to move her in from left field, the shortstop where she played a lot in high school, but giving her that nod at third base and moving Bloodworth over to shortstop has worked out great so far through these first four or five games. She's hitting, not counting today's game, she's hitting 615 with seven RBIs and a 737 on base percentage. And then my other main takeaway, Cade, I know Schneidmiller is a good catcher, but if you're not going to have Caroline Wong at catcher, she has to be your DP. She's yep. hitting 615 with two homers. There was one game where she was not in the lineup. They had I can't remember who else they had at DP, and she came in and pinch hit later. She has to be an every-game person in the lineup. She doesn't have to catch every game. I understand that's taxing on your body. And I know they have other good hitters like Michaela Wark and you know Claire Tim, Lexi McDonald, some of the Scotland David. Some of these players are going to have to be on the bench because Caroline Wong, a three-time all-conference player when she was at Liberty, has got to be in the lineup as a hitter. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Dustin. Fantastic breakdown. I haven't been able to watch as much of them as I would like, but I think one of the things that – I just still have questions on pitching, but I think that their lineup – it's going to produce runs. And I mean, we've seen that so far in this game against Georgia. So uh, they're going to win a bunch of games simply based on their offensive output. And it's just a matter of, can Kenny put the pieces together quickly enough to win? I mean, they're, they're going to play LSU who's ranked in the top 15. This is a humongous week for Cowgirl softball. So, yeah, I've already been talking trash in my Baton Rouge group message about tomorrow <laughs> morning's game. So uh, last takeaway, Kate, before we move on to baseball, Kenny is moving people around so much through these first games. Talon Edwards at third, uh, Godwin at first, and Bloodworth at shortstop are the only players that have started every single game at the same position. So it's pretty oh, wow. interesting. Yeah. yeah, he's moved around. There's some other players who started almost every game, but he's moved a lot of people around. So those are kind of, and I get it with Godwin at first. I know Wark had a great season last year, but Godwin seems to be a little bit more athletic at the first base spot. So I kind of like the move moving on to baseball. Cade, they start tonight, Friday, February 16th on the road against Sam Houston state at Sam Houston state. Who's the defending WAC champion, Sam Houston state. So it should be a good lineup. They released their probable starters. Every single player is from our prediction, which basically we cheated on our prediction because Josh holiday was talking about it as we were making our predictions. But every player is where we thought they would be. Darty at catcher, Brueggemann at first, Miola at second, Forsyth at short, Wolford at third, Binge in right, Earhart at center, Schubert in left, and the DH, we thought it would be either be Richie or DeSalle. Richie's getting the nod, it seems like, at least in the first game. What's interesting to me, starting pitchers, Sam Garcia and Brian Holiday. We mentioned that Binge didn't pitch at all in the fall and just recently pitched his first inter-squad game. So no Binge. Obviously, no Juwan Watts-Brown, no Nolan McClain as they're no longer on the roster, no Ben Abram as he's no longer on the roster. So the only two probable starters listed are guys who weren't even on the team last year. And Sam Garcia from High Point, shout out to John Michael Wright, oh, he struggled nice. last year. He was good two years ago, but he was 1-8 and eight last year with a 7.57 ERA. He looked good in Cape Cod League, apparently, with the Chatham Angers and Tom Holliday. And he looked good two years ago. He had the best ERA on high points team. But to have him as potentially your opening day starter, especially he's also left-handed, is, is kind of wild. We just have a theme. Pitching's going to be the pin, the linchpin for both softball and baseball, it feels like, this season. I mean, they're going to put up a ton of runs. It's going to be a lot of fun over on that side of campus this year. But, uh, I mean, it's the same theme for me. Opening up against Sam Houston – 
that's got to be a sweep. You you got to go for three yeah. there because you have a bit of a challenge on your hands next weekend. And then it even kind of spills into a trip to Dallas Baptist, a team that's been a thorn in your side. Uh, so very interesting opening slate for Cowboy baseball as well. Uh, I'm fired up to watch a little baseball this evening. So. so am I. I. I mean, kid, you know, I love college baseball. So I'm very excited. Hopefully they make it. To Omaha, I would love that because my dad is already like gearing up on the trip again. So LSU or OSU needs to make it, or it'll just be me and my dad watching random teams. So which will be fun. But Oklahoma State Cowboy Wrestling beat number 12 South Dakota State in dominating fashion. 31 to 6. They're 13 and 0, 7 and 0 in the Big 12, and they take on OU in Bedlam at 2 p.m. senior day this Sunday. This senior class, Kate, never lost to OU. Hope they keep it that way. They've got Iowa coming up. I mentioned already all 10 Cowboy starters are ranked in the NCAA coaches poll that was just released. It's going to be a lot of fun. Keep it locked in on Cowboy Wrestling. Right, 100%. The duel against Iowa is going to be maybe not sold out, but it's going to be absolutely electric. I plan to be there, and uh, hopefully you all do as well because that's not one to miss. Yeah, and then we've Kate, we've been talking about them on here. I've had a lot of fun watching them. I didn't even know they were on ESPN Plus until this season. I've watched, I watched two matches during the season, and then I was clipping during yes, if you, you were us on Twitter during the championship. Cowgirl women's tennis claimed their first ITA national championship, which ITA is the indoor tennis, so it's not NCAA sh- sanctioned. However. They will get a chance in the outdoor season to win an NCAA championship in which will be hosted at the Greenwood Tennis Center in Stillwater. So be prepared for that. We'll keep you posted for that. But they had to beat number 14 Auburn, number 10 Texas, number two Stanford, and then had to beat number five Michigan for the second time this season. So Kajuru won her match, Kate, in 50 minutes, 6-0, Komar and Novak won. They won the doubles point. Pretty incredible. The ITA released their final rankings. The Cowgirls obviously received all 13 first place votes. It's the first time ever they finished the season ranked number one. And they open up the outdoor season pretty soon. Uh, I think it's tomorrow against Arizona State in Tempe. So, 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 Sophia Carrington won Big 12 Player of the Week after that performance at the ITAs. Pretty awesome for Cowgirl Tennis. It's also a lot of fun to watch. And if you know, like, if you understand tennis scoring, like the simple tennis scoring at all, the college tennis scoring is not complicated at all. You basically get a point if you win doubles, and then every match you win, you get a point, and the person who has the most points wins it all. So it's very simple to follow. You can, The commentating on Cracked Rackets is great. So if you want to watch it in the outdoor season, please do, because it's a lot of fun. Phenomenal breakdown, Dustin. I can't even beat my four-year-old daughter in a game of Wii tennis in 50 minutes. So to see somebody do it uh, in real life is pretty profound. They are um, awesome. Chris Young has done an unbelievable job with that program. So uh, you just you just have to continue to uh, shout them out and uh, what they've been able to accomplish. They're going to put a lot of fans in that tennis complex. I, I may attend my first outdoor match this year. I can't wait. I believe it's free. Is it really? I th- I think it is. I know I know for indoor when I told you I was going to go with my mom and my daughter, I looked it up just because I, I was more looking for where the parking was opening <laughs> on on those tennis. But I think it said free admittance, so I could be wrong there. If you show up and it's not free, don't get mad at me. But I think it is. Yeah, we do not reimburse. So sorry in <laughs> advance. Uh, that's a great breakdown, Dustin. I know we need to wrap up and get into questions really quickly. We do need to say a quick thank you to our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. And Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season. So be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today to show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. So shop today at www.charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. And Dustin, we owe an apology to one of our fantastic listeners who does exactly what we ask and not just sending in questions, but sending in an audio question. And 
We get so few of them these days that we missed this. So this is a couple of weeks old, but we're going to play it because we're we're men of character and we really appreciate when people participate in this way. So again, a sincere apology. We, we straight up missed it uh, collectively. So here we go. Hey, Kate and Dustin. I appreciate the podcast. Uh, everything I'll do, you're definitely my favorite podcast to listen to for OK State Football. Um. On top of that, I had some questions. Uh, one, I was curious what you thought of Alan Bowman coming back a little bit more um, and whether that you think is going to be harmful for the um, Ringel and Sam Flores and the quarterbacks behind. Um, second question is I want to know more about this Paul Randolph um, and why the sudden change in the defensive line um, and – uh, whether this is a, a good fit for OK State or not. Fantastic. Love that. Dustin, I'll I'll take the first one, give you the Paul Randolph question. Uh, to me, harmful in the quarterback room would suggest that, like, there's, there's better behind Alan Bowman right now. And I don't know if that's the case. I think there's a lot of hope that that could be the case, but we haven't seen it. And so to me, I look at what gives you the best chance to win the season, and Alan Bowman is a known thing. And so harmful, I'm going to say not, but potentially problematic, sure, I would say that. Yeah, and I I agree with you there, Caden. Thank you so much for the question and the kind words at the beginning. Sorry for missing that one. I'll take the blame there. We we will be better. (laughs) Uh, On the Paul Randolph Kate, I actually, you know, I, I keep saying that I wasn't trying to will this into existence, but we got asked about which position group you would make a change at the coach of if you had to. And I think the question asker was expecting me to say offensive line because we know Charlie Dickey's been kind of a polarizing figure amongst Oklahoma State football fans. But I went with Greg Richmond, but I truly believe that the defensive line performed the worst out of any of the defensive units. Richmond is a younger guy who they kind of gave a chance moving Joe Bob Clements to linebacker. I don't think it's worked out exactly how coach Gundy has wanted it to. And now bringing in a very young defensive coordinator in Brian Nardo, Joe Bob Clements is with the linebackers. Now I think he wanted to bring a very experienced guy in on the defensive line who has experience with both an odd and even front showing three down and four down and can kind of coach everything to kind of help out the younger coach in Nardo and make it to where Joe Bob Clements can solely focus on the linebackers because we obviously need the linebacking core to be great as well. So I think overall he was looking for more experience and a guy who maybe is a little bit more versatile as Richmond kind of came up as an Oklahoma state player played in the NFL for a little bit and then got back to Oklahoma state fairly quickly. I believe he's only like 43, 44. So I think he was just looking for a little bit more experience than a guy like Randolph, who's 57 years old and has coached for a very long time. Yeah. That, I I think that's exactly it. I, I think that they just needed a more surefire thing there. Their cupboard was a little bit bare. And uh, I think that that's a great breakdown, Dustin. Let's get into a couple more quickly because I know we got to wrap up. Um, one, yeah, from- we'll probably just take one or two more. I think we're running a little short on time. Yeah, that's perffect. I'll take one from Bill Minat at Bill my Geo guy. Any big takeaways or surprises from softball's trip out west? And am I crazy for thinking Clearwater this weekend will be a much better measure of this team ceiling than the UCLA game was? Dustin, I'll give that one to you. Yeah, I think they come out of this weekend with a couple losses. I, I think that. This is going to be the test for that inexperience that we talked about, especially with ACOC, with Coots. And I know that Rosenberry looked good against UCLA, but I think, and again, only only two of the games were on TV. So I'm, I'm making this judgment based off the two that I was able to watch. She struggled against talented competition last year, and it looks like she's got a little bit more velocity on her pitch. She throws that screwball. She threw it for a strikeout in the UCLA game. But... I need to see more from her against talented competition because last year she had some issues. So I, I think they may 
run out of steam in some of these games when Kilfoyle is not able to pitch the entire time. I, I I would agree, and I definitely agree with the point that I mean this is a this is a huge tournament every year that the the best of the best are in this tournament. So I agree they're they're going to lose a couple games. And then we got one more on softball from GIA enthusiast at Accounting Poke. He said, "Is Talon Edwards the best overall OSU athlete since Cade?" It, it's either her or Ollie, in my opinion. If you're talking about best player on their team in the like the, basically like the best MVP of their team, I think, yeah, you got to put Talon up there with Edward. I said it earlier in the pod, Talon up there with Ollie. I said it earlier in the pod, she's the best player on the team in the field and at the plate. So I, I agree. I love that you agree. I would just, I would offer you a Rock Riggio and remind you of how critical he was to Oklahoma State's, you know, success. In the postseason, without him, they probably get bounced much quicker. I think he might have been as important to OSU baseball as a Talon Edwards is and will be to OSU softball. But I think oh, it's yeah, a great sure. question. Rock, Rock's a great player. I did want to shout out, just so we're not going to be able to get to him, Pradeep asked us some really good basketball questions. I'm going to leave those on our agenda, and we'll try to hit those next week. And then Singapoke, at Singapoke, asked us a women's basketball question. I'm not going to lie, Kate. I actually don't know the answer to it. Sorry about that single poke. We can try to look into it. I have not been following women's basketball as closely as I would like, but we can definitely look into that and, and try to hit that next week. Yeah, love it. Dustin, thank you. As always, we got to wrap up and get out of here. If you're not already, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. That feels like 45 pot. I mean, Dustin is throwing out the hits he's got softball clips he's got tennis clips if you're not following i, I don't know what you're doing with your life follow him at dust ragoon you can follow me at Cade web and we will see you guys back here next week have a great weekend beat by byu and go pokes